Yo, what's up, guys? It's a new episode of Badass Asian Dudes. This week's guest is a guy I met through my Facebook group. His name is Dr. Calvin Sun. Yes, he's a medical doctor in New York City, but that's not all. There's a lot more to this guy, as you guys will soon find out. I loved getting to know Calvin because his life story is awesome, and I think you guys will too. Calvin grew up in New York City, and we talk about how he got into medical school with a below-average academic record. He was told later that he was admitted into his school as an experiment, and you guys will find out in this episode why. During medical school and residency, he traveled to over 150 countries. While he was traveling, he started a blog, which turned into a travel company that organizes tours to countries all over the world. When I say all over the world, I'm not just talking about Australia, Greece, Italy. The guy organizes tours to places like Iraq and North Korea. I interviewed Calvin right after he had gotten back from Afghanistan and just narrowly missed the Taliban. Dude, you're crazy, bro. I'm going to try to go on one of his trips next year. Calvin is also an award-winning documentary filmmaker, former MTV host, and TED Talk speaker. Through his experiences, he's cultivated a really interesting outlook on life and gives some advice to the young dudes out there. You guys are going to really like this episode. He's a badass Asian dude. Before we start, please make sure to share and subscribe. If you guys enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review. And lastly, if you want to meet other like-minded Asian dudes, check out my Facebook group. Just search Badass Asian Dudes. Thanks again for your support, and let's get on with the show. Hey, what's up? Calvin, what's going on, man? Hey, where are you coming from? So you were in Afghanistan? Yeah, I was in Afghanistan for about a week, came back about three days ago. How was that? Pleasantly surprised on how uneventful the whole trip was for up until the last day. Then, you know, shit went down. The Taliban attacked after like months and months of peace. Yeah, I read that on Facebook. That's insane, yeah. dude. Um, but we, I felt totally safe even during that because uh, I remember like just typing my computer and just hearing some thud. And I thought a guy upstairs, a really big guy fell down and just kept typing. And yep. then. I went outside to get some breakfast and everyone's like congregating the stairwell going like, eh, this bombing's going on. I was like, oh, that was a real thing. I did think about it. And then we went up to the roof and we saw the smoke and the news came out. But we were in a very secure place. So all of us were just like, I think, watching it as if like, you know, it was a news report about a car bombing or like, oh no, a car crash that happened like three blocks away. That was it. Yeah. And then we went to the airport. That was that. I mean, it's great. It's pretty surreal when you come back and you're like, oh my God, I was there. Hey, what's crazy is that Afghanistan was the travel destination. Yeah, I'm, I'm running out of places or I think there was like a self-conscious moment. Where everyone's like, we're the crazy ones. Like, what are we doing here? But yeah. to us, to going was just like such a normal thing to do, I, I think. It's like we're just in that bubble of tra- a certain type of travelers that are just so numb and desensitized to you know, exposed to different cultures. What I like, what I like about monsoon diaries is I feel like the travel destinations, some of them are kind of out there. Some of them. It's, it's it's not like the normal travel destination. Yeah. We try to keep it interesting. I am running out of places to go and I love seeing things for the first time and sharing that experience with other people. It's like showing someone around your hometown. If I grew up there, you 
probably already take it for granted. But then when somebody like comes in and wants to experience it, you when you're showing them around, you kind of just feel like, damn, like this makes me really appreciate the place. Uh, it's like being a tourist in your own place. And for me, like I want that genuine, authentic feeling again, which is why I always travel to places I've never been. Yeah. So you know, got a lot of the easier ones, if you will, out of the way. Do you go on every single trip? I go on most of them, not like 99% of them. Some trips are resold. So I would go to a place, create the itinerary and establish it. But then if somebody wants to go again or like lead a trip on their own, they would take the itinerary and redo it on my behalf. Cool, man. Dude, so I was doing a little research on you before this interview and Dude, you have like a lot of things. So you have an award-winning documentary film. Is oh, you found true? that. You really yes. did your research. That's yes. hard to find. That's That was more than 10 years ago. I'm super into Googling, bro. Wow, I'm impressed. It's like, okay, so you have an award-winning lighter. documentary film. Yeah. You were host of an MTV show. Right. I did that. That was more than 15 years ago. Okay, and then you were also on a TED Talk. Yes, that... That was recently, that was okay, always, and then yeah. recently you're an entrepreneur in Monsoon Diaries, and then also you're a doctor. Yes. Dude, that's a lot of stuff. So first, let's start with a documentary film. What was sure. this film? Man, that was a long time ago. So I uh, picked up a video camera back in eighth grade and just started filmmaking and and then led eventually to this movie. I remember it was Asian American Beauty, a discourse on body image and stereotypes. And it was a documentary I made for a different former girlfriend at the time, junior year of college, the third year. And she was struggling with her body image and an eating disorder. And so we got together and we were both executive leadership positions. I would think I was vice president. She was one of the board members. Anyway, it was on AAA Asian American Alliance and we needed a project. And one of those projects was to create a documentary. And we chose this topic and it became sort of mini viral on our undergrad campus. And we submitted it for a bunch of documentary film festivals and the Asian American International Film Festival, the 30th one, was giving out an award for movies and they gave it to us for best documentary, one to watch award. Is it on YouTube or is it, it too, is on YouTube. too long ago? Okay. Yeah, Asian American. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. Cool, man. Wait, so did you grow up in New York? I was born and raised. And where'd you go to undergrad? I went to Columbia. Okay. So I stayed in New York. Awesome, man. I love New York. I used to live in New York City right after graduating school. I worked in finance for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Where'd you, where'd you live and where'd you work for? Uh, I was at 14th between 2nd and 3rd. Wow, that's a nice area. So I would yeah. always hang out in 10th and Avenue A. Yeah. I still do. And then so you went finance out. for a little bit. And then I moved back to LA, worked for my dad for a little bit figured out that that was not for me and that's started my company that's awesome so i have an e-commerce company that's... so i started that when i was 25 i'm sure there's a story behind that oh a lot long story i would go to china all the time Jeez. trying to figure out what to sell so at the time everyone was talking about china you know everyone yeah. was talking about the, the rise of china yeah. everyone was talking about e-commerce i had tried like a bunch of different other entrepreneurial stuff before that yeah but when I heard about like e-commerce, like selling things online, I thought, oh, okay, I think that's something I could do. Like people buy stuff from China, they bring it over mm-hmm. and then they sell it online. So I was like, oh, okay, I think I can do that. So then it was a huge process about figuring out what to sell. Mm-hmm. 
So I kind of reverse engineered what to sell. So I try to think of like the perfect product. Yeah. And so like for me, the perfect product was biz- something business to business. I wanted something that businesses buy because I thought that consumers, regular consumers, they're a little price sensitive, but businesses, the people that are buying, they're buying with their corporate credit card, right. you know, so they're less price sensitive. They'll just buy it. Yeah, that cool. was my thinking at the time. And also I wanted a product that's really simple and low competition. Right. You knew there was a need and you could fill that need. And then I had to find the need. Was there a need? I saw on eBay, there was this one guy that was just absolutely crushing sales. And when I also, when I searched for him on Google, bro, it was like the worst site you've ever seen. That's brilliant, man. You capitalized. It's been seven years. That's awesome. You did your research. You did the hard work that most other people, entrepreneurs don't do. You looked into it. You identify a need and you capitalize. That's awesome. For sure, man. For sure. I feel like we have that same mindset, dude. Yeah, no, we're on the same wavelength. I, I, I think like there are people who like, I want to be entrepreneurs, but not want to do the work. And, and I just talk to them and hear them out and see their journey. And it's like, people are looking for that magic unicorn without, by, without ever getting up from their chair, without ever like doing the hard research. They just think it's going to magically come to them. And I think, you know, we don't value, they, I mean, I think we, that's because we all grew up, especially in Asian Americans being told that we're smart or we're brilliant or we're special that we, you know, don't deserve anything less than, you know, an A because we have a natural gift for math, science, or analytical thinking or whatever it is that we do. And you, you, you do that, you, we forget to prize grit and hard work. For sure. We expect everything being handed to us, especially if we're guys as, as like the boys, right, of the family, like the first son. Oh, your yeah. boy, we like, you know, our babied. You know, I mean, in a, in a, in their own Asian way, like of course, you know, we're all. I think we go on about Asian American tough childhoods and tiger parents, but as a boy, as a man, men, I mean, there's this. It's a privilege, but it's also this poison pill when we don't understand the value of hard work. Nobody tells us, "Oh, you did this, you accomplished this because you worked hard." It's always you're smart first, and then you know maybe you worked hard, and so we grow up wanting to like establish our own destinies. We then think that, oh, I'm smart. This is going to be easy. I'm just going to, you know, do a little bit of work and it's going to be handed to me on a plane. And the real world doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like school and testing and, you know, just, you know, studying hard makes, you know, gives you an A. You have to get on the streets and like, you know, be smart downstairs instead of just upstairs and like pull up your sleeves. And then that's when results start coming in. I don't think we get a lot of that among Asian Americans and especially with our parents. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I definitely see that with entrepreneurs, like other hustlers. Yeah. I feel like we all are on that wavelength, like you yeah, said. for sure. And then I just started traveling, doing like the whole digital nomad thing. I was based all over Europe, all over South America, all over Asia. Yeah. And then I don't know if you feel like this, but do you get a little tired of traveling? Like for me, it was like traveling was like too much. I decided to just settle down in Korea. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I already know for the amount of traveling I do, it's a two-week, up to three-week limit before I burn out. And I start really wanting to go back home. But I have done the three to four months, four to six-month extended traveling and really pushed myself and gotten over it. And I'm very grateful. And I wouldn't give up those experiences for the world. But that is why I travel the way I do, which is about once or twice a month, up to one yeah. or two weeks at a time, just to make it sustainable. 
Um, because that's that balance. Because by the time I travel up to the two or three week point, I start missing work and actually enjoy what I do as a doctor. So by the time the trip's over, I'm ready to work and I'm mentally recharged. And then I work about two to three weeks and that's when I start missing traveling. But I would have a trip lined up. So by the time I start burning out, I go on a trip. It's already been scheduled. So it kind of just balanced out perfectly. I just totally understand like picking a place to call home a little bit to have some kind of permanence because I think you know, just our psyche requires a little bit of grounding uh, just to reset everything. Because if you're constantly on the move, which I think is so important for, you know, our wellness is in the, especially in the mid twenties, early thirties, trying to figure out what we want to do. I think that needs, still needs a balance. For sure. How'd you come to pick Korea? Why Seoul? Well, I'm Korean. And what I realized is you got to have, you got to have a good crew. Yeah. You know, like, you're you got to have like a good group of friends family and, yeah yeah and also my family so my family's yeah, out perfect. here well my my parents they fly back and forth from LA and Seoul yeah. and so i see them and it's also really fun you know i'm sure you know like asia asia is so fun yeah yeah for sure i got i have to i haven't visited korea properly my times in korea has been a week in north korea and a layover in seoul for two days i need to go back and do a proper trip yeah, when you come out, let me know. I'm planning for one next year, I think. I'm going to do a proper South Korea trip. Okay, so Calvin, you yep. are an entrepreneur and you're a doctor. So like, when, how's your dating life, dude? Your dating life must be awesome in New York City. My dating life in New York City is... Well, just like telling people, yeah, hey, I'm a doctor. Point. Yeah, I have an entrepreneur. Dude, that's to be awesome. honest, I am, I am dating someone right now. We've been together for a while. And I think her first thing she said to me was, I hate doctors. Oh, really? Yeah. It Why is that? Right? <laughs> I, I, think, I think the best relationships um, begin with total full honesty from the get-go. I, from the beginning, it's like, this is who I am. This is what you expect. I'm not going to be you know, Prince Charming, I'm not in a position to be in a relationship. And I, you know, can't be actually was not in a position to commit to anything at the moment. And she was not that she was just like, I need something that she was more traditional, because she's not from New York, she's from the South. And she says, I hate doctors. So like, that was like, literally like hour one day one morning after we met. Yeah. Imagine like, so the night before was great. But the morning after I was like, okay, we're gonna start establishing the truths before this goes any further. That's good, uh, dude. And I've actually done this all the time uh, recently in New York uh, when I meet people, whether it's dating or not. And I will guarantee you 100% of the time, I haven't had one person, 100% of the time, people are like, I'd rather that you're honest with me than you pretending to be Prince Charming and then surprise me later on. So the fact that you were honest with me on day one, hour one, first day when we met, let's keep hanging out. Let there be a second time, a third time, a fourth time. And it worked out perfectly. That's great. I, what is, why do all relationships fail? Failed expectations. So I just set the expectations. And I'm just very honest because I really don't want to waste anyone's time. And I want them to live their best life. And I want to live my best life. So I think the best thing to do is just to, you know, because that's what true confidence is. You don't feel like you're going to miss out. If it doesn't work out in the beginning, then it's, and both people end up better that way. Rather than like faking it and pretending to be someone that you're not. And then, you know, leading people on and then like an, a year, two years later, you waste, you realize you wasted both your lives and like you're now stuck in something that's very hard to get out of. Yeah. Cool, man. So when you first joined the Facebook group, you posted that video about how you became a doctor. You got to tell that story. Oh, God. That's such yeah. a great story, man. I think it's a theme of my life where I have 
no idea what I wanted to do. And that's okay. I think it's totally fine to not have a dream that you can stick to. Because I think most of us in our early 20s are trying, still trying to figure ourselves out. So who are we to already know what we're meant to be if we don't even know ourselves? And I think that when you have Asian American parents and as an Asian American man, you are fed this storyline and this narrative that you need to be something blank, that your parents have an idea for you. And they mean the best, they have the best of intentions. But it may not be what your you the like the you with a capital Y is meant to do. Um, so we develop habits over time as we grow up because we don't know any better. We don't have developed this language to stand up for ourselves because you know we're under the security blanket of our parents who you know, dote over us and you know ensure that we have a good education and whatnot, but also may not speak our love language in letting us determine our own identities because they're busy trying to protect us from. The, outs- the cruel outside world. By the time we get to early 20s, you know, we kind of leave the nest, whether we go to college or have our own group of friends or become way more westernized than our parents would have liked. And as a result, we leave that shelter and we're like, you know, what are we going to, holy shit, this is, you know, this is not, ex- this is not what I expected. So for me, I was groomed to be a doctor and my leaving the nest moment was not just college, but then my dad died of a sudden heart attack after we had argued about this. And my mom got Parkinson's a few months later or got formally diagnosed. And then my girlfriend at the time broke up with me at my dad's funeral on Father's Day, a week after he died. And it was basically the summer of 2006 was the, both the worst and best summer of my life. My dad never left the will, so we got nothing. And we had lost our source of income because my dad was a breadwinner and my mom was disabled. So we, for some periods, I was worried about where to live. And that's another story in itself. But we, I was able to take that experience and make the best of it rather than, I mean, it could have been a downward circling the drain kind of spiral. Most people, you know, would have gone either way. But for me, I like consciously, and it helps. I had a Zanga at the time. So it actually is. Oh, yeah, the blog. Oh, it's shit. Now, Zanga. Oh, I have wow. a Zanga that I documented. Every, I wrote poetry, man. It was like super emo. Wow. Uh, most, you'd hear some of the entries are like a little thing towards like my ex-girlfriend that broke up me at the funeral, uh, my dad's funeral. Just a little thing to her. But I mean, like I was trying to navigate through things. And it, was, and it helps to have some writing material to have um, this, this, this like an, a documentation to see to yourself, like a mirror. Yeah. To know that you know you could fuck your life up from this experience, or you can take this experience and use it as an opportunity to clean up your act, break some habits, and start all over again. But I did the latter, and I decided not to become a doctor. And how old were you at the time? So this is I was eighteen, turning nineteen. Okay. Yeah, wow, a long time ago. But I was yeah, nineteen. I was doing my junior college, and I decided not to become a doctor. And uh, was very happy with that decision. I started failing all my classes. I mean, the Asian fail. It went from a, like A, like literally, I was doing really well A to like a C minus. Yeah. Um, D, like right, like based on the cusp of like repeating a year or getting kicked out. Okay. Uh, but I was really happy. I was vice president of my class. I was going on to be, you know, head of the student council on my senior year. 
I was president of all these clubs and, you know, got all these leadership awards and just like living my, like a life that I never could have with my, my, my dad was around, right. I was with him around. It was go to the lab, study all the time. And after I graduated, I didn't have a job really just decided to fuck all and did some small little things on the side. Uh, my dad had left behind his little business. So I tried to restart it to learn some like business entrepreneur stuff. My brother and I worked on that, but also, you know, was running my own thing. I was a bartender, a DJ. I was working as a promoter, nightlife things. And I was actually really happy. And then my brother was like, is this it? Is this all you want to do with your life? You don't want to be a doctor? He's older. 14 years older, different mother, same father. Got it. Yeah. And he was born and raised in Berkeley, California. Got it. Completely opposite of me. I'm born and raised in New York City. He's very chill. He's very smart. He was brought to, he was brought up uh, being told that he was a super genius, which he is. Highly respect. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met and known. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he's the Californian ethic of just chill, yeah. being super chill and cerebral. And he talks, he's very like calm. He like sat me down. He's like, is this all you want to do? I was like, yeah. I was like, the, like my manic New York City side was like, yeah, being a bartender is awesome. Like, this is my best life. I was like, just doing before thinking. Yeah. But then he got me to a point where I actually started have to, I started thinking. Thinking is hard for oh, me. Oh, for sure, man. No, well, this, I think thinking is hard for everyone. Thinking yeah, consciously, like planning oh. your life, that kind of thing. What do I got to do today? Where do I eat? <laughs> oh, thinking is hard. I love automation. I love having exactly. habits. too, man. Routines. Yeah. I'm all about routines. Yeah. But, you know, it's, you got to have balance, right? So my for New York sure. City routine had to, like, had to, had to put a stop on it, stop and smell the roses and, like, what if... I'm actually meant to be a doctor and shit, I'm rebelling against my dad right now at this moment. I think I'm happy, but maybe that's just like the initial high of doing something different, just like doing a drug that may not be good for you. And after the drug wears off, I'm worried that I'll have to spend a whole entire life avoiding being something I'm meant to be. And actually, if I truly want to be free from my dad's influence. And I truly want to not do anything because of my dad. I have to decide this for myself and not, not do something that double negative. I don't want to not become a doctor because of my dad, because then he has, then he wins, right? Then he has control of my life for the rest of my life. Right. Or just not even your dad, just like the Asian American stereotype that all Asians have to be doctors. So we grow up saying, Oh, fuck you. I'm thinking for myself. I don't want to be a doctor. So I want to fight the stereotype. And then therefore you decide something because of the stereotype. The stereotype wins, right? It just controls you. And then you lose. Or they, they, it has, it's at the power. If you truly want to take away all the power away from an unfair stereotype, from the Asian American stereotype, from your, from your parents, then you really need to decide for yourself, which could possibly mean actually becoming the very thing that you're avoiding. Obviously, as you can tell, for those of you who are probably listening, this is very complicated and convoluted and circuitous logic. What if this is reverse psychology? What if my dad's doing this from the grave and whatnot? So remember when I said I lost the bet and joined all these dance teams? Yeah. I decided the same thing with traveling and I decided the same thing from that. That's another story, but I decided the same thing with medical school. I decided to say, you know what? Fuck it. I will apply to every single school that I would be willing to go to. And with my C minus average, my 3.0 GPA and my MCAT being like pretty much below average, which is does not helpful as much as I, as I support affirmative action, it's not helpful as an Asian American. I uh, knew I was not going to get in. And even my like pre-med advisors were like, 
shaking their heads. I was like, you're not going to get it. So that's great. Then I know I did something. I've committed to an action where if it doesn't work out and nobody takes me, I will have my true failure moment. My Oprah, my, yeah, my Oprah, Anna Wintour, Martha Stewart moment where you failed something. And I could use that in my story. So I wanted to fail this. Check that box off and know I'm not meant to be a doctor. And then I'm done. I have my failure moment and I can move on with my life. Because I knew with those statistics, I wasn't getting anywhere. And then one school took me in. That's I got the acceptance insane, letter. I know. Insane. I was like, holy shit. Like, when I How did you feel, uh, dude? She, you know that there was, a, <laughs> I think, a scene in The Wire. All right. It was some like crime drama show when some guy finds out something that he didn't want to know and he goes, shit. <laughs> you know that scene? <laughs> That's that's exactly what I said, actually. I opened the mail in my apartment yeah. and I was like, shit. Like in my own way, like, oh man, I did not expect this. Such a privilege. Don't get me wrong. I'm not squandering this. I'm not saying that, you know, I knew that millions of people would kill to be in my shoes to get into a school. And I felt so guilty that I got in to something that I wasn't completely 100% committed to. And I know so many other people wanted this. So obviously I... I was confused at the time. And I definitely know that this was a privilege. And the second part of that was, if I were to get in, I would commit to it full-time, full, not take it for granted, without sacrificing my other things in life, right? The things that got me here, I, I believe. The bartending, the promoting, like I would still do that. So I started to travel at the time because I lost the bet. It's another story. And I would still do that and do medical school. And if I were to fail out, then I would know that it was not meant to be because I'd rather do my best and fail out rather than quit anything because I ultimately knew I'd rather be a good person and not sacrifice my humanity and then see if I could be a good doctor rather than sacrifice my humanity, sacrifice all the things that make me happy, try to be a good doctor and then regain all the social cues I lost during the four years of medical school of everything I sacrificed. I didn't want to be one of those people. So I was just like, I'd rather fail than quit. So I decided to go into it, just do everything. And um, I don't want to let anyone down, but I did fail at <laughs> school a couple of times. I was traveling like literally once a month and the weekends up to like six to seven times a year. Yeah. Uh, which is insane. Your travel schedule was crazy while was going to medical school. I think, I, I, yes. I mean, I started a blog right in my first day. I mean, I started my blog the summer, the trip before med school, but then I continued it on my first day of medical school. I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it would track my medical school journey where it would be a weekend. I was like, I don't know. I'm in an airport right now where I have 20 hours to travel to Hong Kong, be there for about maybe 12 hours to get back on a 20-hour flight back home before my Monday morning lecture. Were you studying on the airplane? I studied on the airplane, man. When you study in the airplane, like that's a unique experience when you're like, yeah, what the fuck I, am I, I doing? I can't even imagine. <laughs> so the things you study end up sticking, right? Much better. Like you remember like this. I remember studying this. You, when you're take, taking a test, it's like, I remember this detail. I know how to answer this because I swear to God, I remember being served the meatloaf on Cathay Pacific as I was reading this thing because it's just so unique. It's like how your brain works. It like sticks things in little boxes. Yeah. And I still kind of failed out. Like I passed, 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 everything. Everyone was getting high pass and honors. I was passing everything. And then I failed a class. I had to remediate right before I was supposed to take my licensing exam. So I did poorly on both. I managed to get by it on the thing I failed. They took me back in. And then I, you know, passed my step one licensing exam, but barely. I got a 212 and you need at least a 230 to be like competitive. At this point, my med school was just like, 
we took you in, be, you know, as an experiment. You know, the reason why you got into the first place, the whole time was like shit, was because we wanted to see if we could create good doctors from interesting people who did not have to study all the time. So people who are not great students in college, we wanted to see if we could turn them into great clinicians. And you're like an experiment. So like, you know, the imposter syndrome. Wait, who, who said that? The, the, said the dean that? of students. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, you know, the, you know, the imposter syndrome where everyone feels like oh, everyone around sure, them in the class is like so yes. smart and then they got yes. into the back. They, yes. The person was thinking, like, you oh, I got the into imposter, the back. bro. They, I'm not only the imposter, but they told me I was the imposter. Like it's confirmed. The whole imposter syndrome is that oh, you're actually God, wrong, hilarious. that everybody else also feels the same way as you do. And you deserve to be there just like everyone else because everyone else also feels like the imposter. And you're not the imposter. That's the syndrome. But with me, I was the actual imposter. There was no syndrome. It was real. And, you know, ironically, the thing that almost got me kicked out was the thing that got me to stay. Like, yes, I traveled a lot. So that's what caused me to not be a great student to almost get kicked out. But because I travel so much and living my best life and a generally happy medical student, the school was like, you're such an inspiration. And I'm, you know, we, we have to take, keep you, you know, but you, you may not get into residency, but we'll graduate you. Even if, you know, your scores are below average. Literally, is my transcripts. Like, Calvin's son is ranked in the below bottom 50% of his class. But they rounded me up. 68, barely passed. And when I applied to residency, I finally, there was like a dean of students that interviews everybody. And you get like a five-minute interview with them. And it's like a very generic. So everyone just goes in. He barely looks at you. And he like writes it and looks at your transcript. It's like, okay, I'll write a thing that's like commiserate to your transcript. When I came in, I was like, okay, he's probably gonna look at my transcript and say, you know, you don't belong here. He looked at my thing and looked at my resume. I was like, holy, he looked his, he looked, he's like, what, what are you doing here? And I told him, I was like, this is who I am. Like, take me for, I'm not a great student. I don't like to study really hard, but I'm really good at people. And I believe in like leadership. And, you know, I was, I was student council class president in med school. It's like, I really believe that's more important than something from a book all the time. Because to be a good doctor, you need to be a great leader. And he looked at me. He's like, that's exactly how I got this job. I was not a good student. I was an international foreign grad. And now I'm the dean of students of the largest medical school in New York City, graduating the most amount of number of doctors who practice in New York right now, because I focused on the social aspects of medicine and yeah. not nuts and bolts, boring, like the, the minutia of medical knowledge that always changes anyway. So he was like, I want to make sure you get in anywhere, everywhere that you want to go to. He writes me this golden recommendation letter. And some people call that lucky, but I would say that what is luck then? opportunity plus preparation. I never sacrificed my humanity. I did my best and what I thought was right, even though everyone had told me that I shouldn't. And the opportunity came along and I met the right person that became my advocate. And his letter got me all these interviews. And then the next step, it was like a war of attrition. It was like the next wow, step. This, the next step. That's insane, dude. So I got an interview. Insane. And when the interview came along, I know the interview was just like, why do you want to be a doctor? Again, the challenge, you suck as a student. Your scores are terrible. Right? I took the second step licensing exam. I'm supposed to do better than 212. So I worked my ass off and I got a 204. So I did worse. <laughs> you know, 203 to pass. Now I would have failed. It's a 206 to pass. So I pretty much like modern day failed. So the guy was just like, you've just failed this exam. <laughs> pretty much. Why do you want to be a doctor? But because I had to shoot in the interview, I was like, told him the truth. I said, I gotten this far by being honest with myself. So I just became honest. I was like, remember, I'm still a bartender. Remember, I never sacrificed that. I told them, I was like, ER doctor is like a bartender. The ER is like a bar. You're behind a row of computers. 
you're ready for anyone who comes in. They come in the same amount of volume, the same speed, and the same you know, efficiency. You got to work as efficient as to meet all of them at the same time. Make sure everyone gets their drink served. You know, you have five minutes with every person. You make sure they you got they got to love you in those five minutes. They're going to tip you the best and take care of you, and you got to take care of them before you move on to the next one, knowing that you may never see that person again. But you make sure you leave enough of an impression that they like you and they like the place and they feel that they were well taken care of. You can't move too fast because then everyone thinks you're not paying attention to them. You can't move too slowly because everyone is waiting on their drink and being taken care of. And I even told the interviewer, you're like my bar manager, like the guy that like does nothing. Like I do all the work for you. You just walk around the bar introducing yourself and say hi and telling me to get this guy a Tylenol in the house or a Motrin in the house before he goes. And the guy who interviewed me was like, took off his glasses and he looked at me. He's like, that was the best damn answer I ever heard to that question. <laughs> I got the job. Bro, that is insane, dude. Yeah, no, I'm very grateful. I, it's like shooting, it's like playing the game of asshole and you get the queen of spades and you like, you know, for those of you who play the game asshole, you get the queen of spades, you automatically lose unless you collect every single other spade from everyone else, which is what we call shooting the moon. It's like one in a million chance. And it happens. And I, I am very grateful. I'm very lucky. I just, my story is to, is really for the people out there who have no idea what they want to do. If you already know what you want to do and you're committed to the fact and you know yourself well, like there are two types of people. If you're one of those people who know yourself well and you're committed to the fact and you have very good self-awareness, self-love, self-care, self-actualize, you're good parents, and you know what you want, then that's great. I'm not talking to you. You don't need my advice or my story. You're, I think you're doing just great. There are people out there who are confident, who are confident in their lack of confidence. That's, that's the big one. When you, are, when you know that you have so much more to learn about yourself and your parents never gave you that love language or that foundation to, or that space, that brave space to really figure out things on your own and really create that world for you and now you're breaking away you're not quite sure whether the things you're thinking is really from your parents from society from yourself and you're totally lost on what you want to do but you have confidence and you will make it this story is for you in that it's okay to not have dreams fuck your dreams fuck your dreams your dreams may not be really you and if you pursue dreams that's not you you're gonna fuck your life up and you're gonna look back 20 30 years later and it's like oh shit I never really loved her. I never really loved my job. I never, and you know, like, oh, what again? You wasted 20 years of your life, and I don't want you to be that way. Instead of following your dreams, set a present goal, present goals, things that are passionate to you in the moment that feels right. Commit to the present, and it becomes like what I said, a war of attrition. A victory will beget the next victory, will beget the next victory, and the next failure will lead to next victory, next failure, and the next victory, and just do it, and then it's just going to start adding up, and then that dream that you never realized was there will start materializing itself and then you'll get where you need to be as long as you trust yourself that's my story i love that story dude yeah and i think that being present is so important and i feel like there's so many people out there that don't know what they're doing that advice is so relevant to a lot of people they just need reassurance it's okay i mean again this is for people who have confidence in the lack of confidence who are not chumps you know those angry angry frustrated chumps this they're, they're, this device will not work for people who feeling are entitled they're entitled to things like oh i went on a date with her and i bought her dinner and she should have went home with me it's not for those people you are a chump you feel like the world the world is you know it should be handed to you like a platter 
people who get angry at like interracial relationships, people who get angry about certain things in race politics, people who just get angry at things have nothing to do with them, right? People who just, when something bad happens, they blame everyone else. And I'm not saying it's healthy to blame yourself all the time, but when you focus so much on other people's problems rather than your own, this advice doesn't work for you. You're totally lost because you don't know yourself and you're not confident. And I think you need to work on a few things before you start you know, getting to that level of being able to accept this kind of advice of trusting yourself, right? Because the foundation and the, the common denominator is you. So yeah, I just have to be very careful about giving that advice to like, it's, it's not like a one size fits all. It's really for the people like you and me who it's okay to you know, not know as long as we know that we're confident in ourselves and confident to say, I don't know. Confident enough to say like, not everything works out. That being said, people who also are very good at forgiving themselves, this advice is also good for them. Uh, when you find yourself that self-esteem is bullshit, self-esteem is something that is actually negative and toxic. This whole idea that I belong to be, I belong in this echelon of society and I'm a unique snowflake and I, you know, am, you know, this amazing smart individual. And the moment I fail something, I am worthless. That's self-esteem of what I, it's, it's semantics, but that's what I define that as self-esteem. Self-forgiveness is, I'm not special and that's okay. Not being special. I was going to do my best. If I fail, that's cool. I forgive myself. I'm meant to make mistakes over and over and over again. I'm meant to fuck up and be a douchebag every once in a while and acknowledge that I am not the perfect person. Uh, we're not perfect human individuals. And if you can have that kind of attitude, then I think you'll be just fine. And that that's the person I would say, you just need reassurance. You're well on your way because as long as you maintain overall good karma, uh, I think that the universe will work out in the way it's supposed to for you. Sorry, thank you for letting me say that much. No, I love that, dude. Doing things and failing, it's okay. I feel like I failed so many times. Have you ever read the book Mindset? No. It's about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. No, I, I I'll write it down, yeah. That's... You should read that book. Yeah, I feel sure. like a lot of what you're talking about is very, very similar to what that book talks about. Okay, that's yeah. Who wrote it? I mean, mine's. I mean, I write now. Uh, I don't know who wrote it, but it's okay. It's a yeah, no, I mean, book. that's one of my favorites. If I need a reading list, okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people. I would say the Alchemist is a very similar story to what I've talked about, especially in travel circles. Okay, going to travel now. You were in medical school, and then you started this travel company. So, like, how does that even come about? Oh man, that travel company created itself. I did not expect it to turn out the way it did. Yes, I run a travel business slash community slash company, a lifestyle entrepreneurship. I, the, the label is very cloudy because it started off as a blog. I never intended it to turn into a business. And I would blog every day on the road, even during medical school and leaving on a trip, I would blog about how I was leaving something and trying to, the goal is to get back before I miss something in school and blog every day to just to let everyone else know and my mom know that I was okay in certain countries and it developed a readership. So this thing was a blog that had a following and this following then started you know, communicating with me about coming with me. And unlike other travel bloggers, I said, yeah, why not? I'll take you on. I'll take, I said yes to everybody. I would be happy to take you on and travel with me. It won't slow me down. And I'll work out the kinks when you get here. And eventually the community started forming, 
where people would travel with me and I would like organize everything, do everything. They just have to pay me back. That's it. You know, at the end of the trip, it's like, okay, that was so-and-so. And it was so cheap a lot that I made it so cheap that a lot of people were like, really? Like I was prepared to pay you this amount. And I was like, sure, I'll take X amount. I'll take that from you. Yeah. If you want to pay more, I'll take more. And then I realized that that's illegal unless you're a business. And that's what I was told. My father was like, no, you have something that was really good. I would definitely come back another one and I'll be paying this. This it's this is the value of your trips deserves. And this is how much you should charge. You should be a business. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't plan to be an entrepreneur, but luckily I had a father that really believed in me and they created a business out of it. How do and people so I, find you? Were you doing like SEO on your blog or? No, I, 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 I didn't do SEO until like last year, man. <laughs> I didn't even know oh, what SEO really? was. Okay. Yeah, no, I just blog every day. It would not get many hits. And then I think it was just our travel style being as fast and furious as it was. And what happened in North Korea in 2011 when we snuck into the fifth floor. That went viral. What does uh, that mean? What, you snuck into the fifth floor? Yeah, so, so North Korea was open for tourism since like 2008, I think. A very long time. And tour groups were going to North Korea. It's one of the easiest visas to get for Americans at the time. You just have to fill out a Microsoft Word document in five minutes, you get the visa. It's actually harder to get the Chinese visa to get into China to pick up your North Korean visa where it was be waiting, where it would be waiting for you. So I did got my North Korean visa after just Googling and realized how easy it was. And there's been like a lot of blogs of people who have been to North Korea already. And they always talk about the fifth floor. Like by no means, I was the first one to find it. It's a very well-known destination. And it's pretty much a floor within a floor that's not supposed to exist inside the only hotel where all tourists are supposed to stay when they come to North Korea. So all the tourists have to stay in one hotel called Yangakto. There's no other hotel at the time. And within the Yangakto, which is huge, can house thousands of people, there is a floor within a floor that is super creepy and not supposed to exist that many people have found in the past. But no one is able to have at least document or come out with photos and videos of or like photos, photographic evidence of the place. Just because North Korea like, is pretty strict on the photography there. When you're like leaving the airport, they go through your photos and delete whatever they don't yeah. like. So, and then people didn't want to take a chance, I guess, at the time. It is a very dodgy place. You're not supposed to be there. But like the Bro, that, hundreds, there's that one guy in the news. Yeah. So that happened after the fact. So when I went yes. in 2011, Eight to nine years before, or no, sorry, five to six years before that guy that you mentioned, uh, before I was one of the hundreds of people who went. And I had a camera and someone else had a video uh, video camera. And we took, you know, photographing video evidence of the place of our time there. And it was, you know, short. It's a very small floor. It's only like 40 seconds, a minute before we were finally caught. And what happens when you get caught there is nothing. They literally walked us to our elevators and they even accompanied us. They just told us to go back to our rooms. So we went back and we went back. We actually went back like six times that night. Two of my friends had sex there. Uh, I did not know this until two years ago when we had a reunion and she told me. So I had no idea at the time. I would never do that. That's like fucked up. But it happened. Now that I'm looking back, I remember like, oh, that dude, makes my jaw sense. is on That's the where floor, you dude. went. That is That's insane. where you left for like 20 minutes. That is minutes. insane. Okay. Yeah, I was just like, I was like, the floor is so small. What took you so long? It's been like <laughs> gone for like 30 minutes. Like literally our, our excursions to the fifth floor were like four or five minutes. Yeah. yeah. And this is what people were doing. Everybody was doing the time. When I left, another group did it and they told me about it. But the thing is that what we did was we switched our memory cards when we left, left the airport. Like I took out memory cards, switched with another one and stayed the same thing. And so, I mean, they actually didn't even check it. 
Now, even if they were to check it, they wouldn't have found memory cards. But I think things were just getting super loose at the time. They really liked us. The North Korean guides really liked our groups. Um, so they were fine with us just doing whatever. And then when I posted it online, a South Korean news outlet, Yong, uh, Yonghap News, picked it up. And it became, it exploded. And it was all over Western media and whatnot. And, you know, I mean, my friends still run trips. To, the friend that run the trip to North Korea for me, we're now like travel partners. He still goes there. Not a problem. I mean, the North Koreans don't care. The guy that you mentioned five to six years later, what he did was he stole something. Yes, that's right. You don't do that. It's like I snuck into a place in the Pentagon. They slap on a wrist. I steal something from the Pentagon and I'm a foreigner. Uh, that's like a cold. You literally committed a crime in any country, let alone a, a place that's not supposed to exist in a secret floor in the hotel. And there's a really good article about it in GQ magazine of what really happened. I highly recommend those of you who are still unsure what actually happened and if he was tortured or whatnot. The GQ article is the, is the closest thing to the truth. I'm not going to speak on behalf of them because I wasn't there and it's really none of my business. The Western media has made it my business because their working narrative is I found the place that he snuck to. I didn't find the place. It was already established. I oh, had so you it. were in I popularized it. mentioned in there. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I popularized it in 2011, five years before he even existed on the radar. And the theory is that he read about it on my blog and wanted to go there and steal something. That is a working narrative. But I, the truth, I think the closest thing to the truth is that GQ article about what actually happened. And we don't know what happened. I wasn't there. I can't comment on what actually happened. But yeah, it's, it is, I've become, as with the travel blog and their travel company, I got roped in something bigger than I, anything I could have imagined. Yeah. So now it's a community of other travelers who yeah, meet that, one another. That's great SEO for your blog though. Yes. It still gets thousands of hits every day. Yeah. Uh, now that I've learned how to use SEO. <laughs> <laughs> Finally put SEOs on that. Uh, so yeah, that 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 took, made my blog go viral, and then more people saw each, you know, they saw Reddit, and then started showing me around. They're like, "I read your article. You're coming to Panama. Let me drive you around." Okay, great. You know, and so community started forming where people would travel with me, and then meet other people and say, "Oh, what do we have? Oh, we have a mutual friend, Calvin. Yeah, I travel with him. Oh, me too." And they would send me photos of reunions happening, and it's just like this thing was just growing on its own organically. And I was still just running as a travel blog until. My friends were like, you should do it as a business. And then they set it up for me. They filed the articles of incorporation and, you know, we opened a business account and then they gave me the reins and taught me how to do it. And I've been doing it ever since. Same style. I just now, it was a little more formal, more, a little more formality to it. That's it. Kevin, what's the vision for that? Do you want to grow it bigger or are you happy with where it is right now? So this is why I travel to places like Afghanistan. Yeah. There's really nothing no, to I do. I mean, the, the locations are some of them are out there, you know, yeah. so that's, that's what got me interested because, you know, I have a lot of time. I have a lot of freedom. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of like the normal traveling. And then I saw that you guys are going to like Afghanistan. So I was thinking, huh, maybe I should go on one of these yeah, trips. Man. We're, we're going to Syria next month. Yes, I know. I saw that. Yeah. The Afghanistan trip. The reason why we, this is the reason why I go to Afghanistan though. Like everyone's like, why would you go? And it's not about to be in a dangerous country, quote unquote. It's not, to be there that's silly like we're not doing dark tourism we're not doing war pornography we're not doing it for those reasons it's i can't judge a place until i've been there right i don't want to learn about a place 
from Western media. It's like someone telling you, oh, the Avengers suck because I just don't like superhero movies. And if it's your friend, you're probably like, oh, my friend told me the movie sucks. I guess I shouldn't watch it. No, it's just your friend doesn't like superhero movies. Doesn't mean that you won't like the Avengers, right? And that's essentially what the Western media is telling me. You will not like this place because it's dangerous. You should not go. Well, damn it. Like, if you live in Chicago or New York City, my job is an ER doctor where I get where I work. Like, that's dangerous too. Should I not go to work? Should I not do my job? Should we not walk in the streets of New York? Because yes, there are some people who have guns, you know, in America. In fact, America has the highest, you know, percentage of or number of people who carry guns, right? Does that mean it's America's a dangerous place? Not necessarily, right? People, more people carry guns in America and more percentage of the population carries guns in America than Afghanistan or Yemen or Syria or any of those places. It doesn't mean that Afghan- America is unsafe or should not be traveled to. And Afghanistan, yes, the, the media, yes, there are bombs and there's Taliban and whatnot. But we also have our domestic homegrown terrorists here too. We have our bombs and school shootings and church bombings and whatnot and arsons. So I had to go check it for myself. And the great thing about being in a place like Afghanistan is there's really not much in terms of established tourist infrastructure. There's a lot of beautiful places, but once you're done, you're done. And in that space, to answer your question, it was a long answer to your question. What's the vision? My roommate uh, was this great guy, uh, same age, was an entrepreneur. And he just told me, he's like, you can establish a vision to the monsoon dyers, but that would destroy the whole character of what you're trying to do. If you were to try to force expansion, if you were to try to scale before it's time was, you know, had time to actualize, right? If you were to force a scaling, to hire more guides and run multiple tours and make a lot of money, then the focus will be less on the trips and more on the money making. And then you will turn into another tour company. And that would suck. It will no longer be fun for you. Your blog post would have lost all meaning and soul. And you know, you just you just will look back and you're like, what have I done? You created a monster. You created something that looks dime a dozen. What you have is a unique lifestyle business that funds your lifestyle and enhances the lives of other people. And it's growing at its own pace. So your vision is to not have a vision, if you will. It, and that, that's the whole thing with my life, right? We yeah, like, I know. That's what I was going to say. If that's I had, what I was going to say, man. I never decided to be a doctor. Yes. I, I never decided to fight the stereotype. I never decided to like be free. My dad died. I rolled the punches. You know, I, I, I bartended, had lived my best life. Then we go into this whole crisis of self-existential crisis of who I really am. I applied to every medical school saying, what the fuck? What, you know, just might as well. And then I get it. And then I say, you know, I'm going to fail out and then become a doctor. And then I said, I'm never going to travel. And then I'm going to travel. And then I'm never going to try travel business. That's it. Like I have, I think if I had set a goal and set a dream, none of this will come true. I'll be disappointed. Things will not work out the way I wanted to. I'll be right. When you were talking about dating in New York city, why do all relationships fail? Failed expectations. I am the love of your life. I think, I know we just met, but I just feel like something's really special here. I think we have something that is, you know, has a lot of chemistry and I, and I, and I want to see this through. I think we have a lot of potential. Um, man, of all the dates I've been like, you're so special. Or like three months in, it's like, man, you know, I know it's been three months, but I love you. Like, I just I never said that before. Like, that's terrible. That's like the worst thing you could do to a relationship. You're putting so much pressure on the other person. It takes two to tango and you're pretty much doing all the dance moves. You're pretty much like, it takes two to tango. It's like you're tangoing with this person and all of a sudden you start break dancing. Look what I can do. You're the best dance partner ever. And she's literally just standing there and going like, fuck this. Like, I, I'm glad you're having fun. 
I'm glad you're in love, but I am not sure. I just met you, right? It's a slow, what, what's, what's a good tango? What's a good dance with a, a partner? Good expectations. You, it's a slow step-by-step. The next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And that's how we get to where we need to be. I love it. Kevin, where can people find out more about you? Monsoondiaries.com, M-O-N-S-O-O-N-D-I-A-R-I-E-S. I I do this because some people can't spell diaries or monsoon, or they pronounce it moonsoon. It's monsoon, like the weather pattern, diaries, like the motorcycle diaries, like feeling a diary, plural, monsoondiaries.com, or you could just Google it, travel, or Calvin Sun, North Korea. And yeah, and what it has is pretty much all our trips, our previous trips, previous itineraries that you can use on your own and a daily blog post. Ever since I started traveling 10 years ago to Egypt, it tracks the whole progress. If you enjoy a nice cup of coffee, if you have a nice cup of coffee and a whole Sunday afternoon to read it, uh, it, it shows an evolution of a, a little boy who lost his father, who didn't know what he wanted to do, who wasn't sure about his future to the person you're listening to right now a little more confident, a little happier, and definitely a lot more grateful for everything he's been given, including all the traumas. Thanks for having me. No, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for letting me like talk so much. I know podcasts, you're supposed to like, no, this is good. I mean, you are the subject. So this is, I think it's, I think it's really good. Feel free to cut it up as much as you want. I thank you. I, yeah. And I'm sure people have told you like your life story is pretty insane, dude. Yeah, I, I am very, I got to pinch myself because to me, I just feel like I'm just an ordinary dude. Definitely not the smartest guy in the room or the hardest working, but I do get bored really easily. And yeah. if you just shared my sense of just enthusiasm for making the most out of every day, this could be your life too. I mean, not exactly the same story, but this kind of passion for, you know, creating a story. I don't, I, I told someone like a couple of days ago, I don't want to have grandkids right? Because I married too early and had kids too early. And I look at my grandkids. I'm like, sorry, I got no stories for you. I can tell you about the time I met your, you know, met your grandmother. That's it. No, and right? I, I love, I love your lessons about like being 100% honest, you know, like your, yeah. your, uh, what is that? Your doctor interviews or whatever. Like that's, those are, that's crazy, dude. You have nothing to lose by being honest. And I, and I'm looking for the day where I can be totally honest and then look at my grandkids. And, you know, I might be a little older, but I'll be like, I which pick a country and I'll tell you a true story, any country. And it'll be, it'll be, you know, my story. Uh, that's because that's what honesty gets you by being honest with other people. You are being honest with yourself. If you're not honest with other people and about your intentions and your you know, expectations, you're also not being honest with yourself. And then you lose a sense of who you really are. And that's when you start going on a slippery slope and then you just lose yourself and become a different person. But I do appreciate it. And, you know, Chris, it's also like, to be honest with you, like what you're creating for all of us in this forum, I think came from a certain need. And, you know, where direction it takes you, like the fact that there's a general authenticity in the way you're doing things and how you are approaching this, I think has already sparked dividends. And I know we we don't know what we don't know, right? You, a lot of us, when we start something, you know, what if I did it this way? What if I became a little more salesman like? What if I kind of became more, you know, put more effort in here? What if I try to get these, this group of people to go, right? You don't need to concern about, none of us need to be concerned about that because just by being honest in the day of, the right people will come to you. Yeah. And I really, I, I know, I'm just saying things you already know, but if it's any sense of like, 
no, no, no. That, that means a lot to me. That means because I'm, well, you know, just like starting something is always yeah. very scary. Putting yourself out there is very, very scary, you know? And, uh, like I've been in e-commerce, you know, like, and I could just live my life. Like I live a good life. Like I could just be just yeah. like hanging out, chilling, like at the cafe all day, like doing that. But then putting myself out there, being public, putting my face out there, like writing on like forums, like, Hey, check this out. Like it's about like Asian dudes. Like that's, that's out of my comfort zone. Yeah. So like, you know, whenever I hear like words of encouragement that motivates me to work harder. Right. For what it's worth, you don't need any encouragement. You're doing the exactly right thing. You're, but if any, if encouragement does put you forward to the next step, I'm thinking what you're doing is amazing and you're doing it perfectly. Uh, and if anything, if it scares you, right? What I've learned, if, it, if it's something scares you, like deeply makes you nervous, then that's the reason why you should do it. Oh, for sure. I, I am 100% with you. Right. If you're like, eh, I don't care for it anymore. Uh, yeah. Why am I doing this? Then, then don't do it. But if it makes you nervous, that's a good sign. And you just develop yeah. a habit of doing it. You don't need me to tell you this, but this is for our, our listeners, I guess, that yeah. Yeah, it scares you, just do it. And I think it's really, really, I think what for me, this form and this podcast does, what I've been lacking the, this whole time is meeting other Asian American men who are confident and trying to bring each other up. Because I definitely feel like when I grew up in New York City, the majority of people who I got into a lot of issues with were other Asian American men who want to tear me down. Um, and I mean, I, that's, I guess the nature of the beast of being in the mid twenties, right. When we are all trying to like, we're all going through puberty or pu post puberty, like, you know, trying to figure out identities, but to see something like this is like a tonic for my entire like past life of, you know, just struggling, just feeling like, um, there's very few of us out there. Wow. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. No, All thank right. you for what you're doing. Cool, man. Calvin, thank you so much, bro. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me, Chris. And right, we'll, hang out, we'll hang out in Korea. We'll hang out in New York City. Or, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to go on a trip next year. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll, in fact, why don't you lead our Korea trip or something? All okay. right. I'll do that. Something. I'll yeah. do that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Let's let's work something out for sure. I don't. I, and I think that's an if any, if anything. One more like life lesson: never flake. I never flake. Okay. Make a promise. I'm gonna do it. So I'll see you in let's Korea. Do it. All right, bro. Thank you, bro. Thank you for having see me. You, dude. Take care. Cool guys. That's my interview with Calvin. What'd you guys think? Do you guys like it? Let me know. Email me at chris at badassasiandudes.com or join my Facebook group. Just go on Facebook and search Badass Asian Dudes. I really enjoyed my talk with Calvin. And thanks again for listening, guys. Thanks for supporting. I really appreciate it so much. And I'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks.